Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews Podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. For more interviews, videos, and links to events, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Steve Orleans. I'm president of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. David Zweig is now professor emeritus at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and is one of the people who I always look to to separate the fact from fiction. Um, when there's a lot of smoke, I look for him to kind of clarify. And today, we are talking about the Chenren Jihua the Thousand Talents program and what it really means. There are a lot of discussions in the United States that this is a way to undermine the United States, but um, I think David has just completed a case study on it and a paper and kind of talking about the relationship of the Thousand Talents, that's the English way of putting it, program to what's going on in the United States. So that's my introduction. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Steve. So so um, one of the uh, important, a couple important things, I wrote this paper for a conference uh, in Kunshan, at Duke Kunshan University, um, and it was to look at the thousand talents. And one of the, you know, I would say a couple of main points. First main point is that the thousand talents was established largely to help the Chinese overcome the brain drain, right? And Americans have no understanding. So when you look at American reaction to this strategy, the, the government strategy, the party strategy to bring people back, one of the things that I think Americans don't understand is the great loss that societies, developing societies, suffer from the brain drain. Because America's never had a brain drain. Where the smartest go you train to study and they never don't go come back. back. I'm Canadian, right? And I'm a Canadian. I was well trained, uh, and I haven't gone back, right? And the Canadian government has programs like this to try and get people back right. too. So, so cover outside of the United States. This is not you know trying to get people back, and but China, of course mobilizes. I mean, so part of the issue is, look, China mobilizes, um, the Communist Party mobilized, but back in the 2008, when this program began, the founder of the program, a guy named Li Chao, uh, who was then a member of the Politburo, uh, his goal was to get people to come back full... Studied at the Kennedy School. Correct. Um, uh, his goal was to get people to come back full-time, not to... Uh, join a program where they would be living in the United States and then helping to send information back. The original goal was to bring people back full-time, but he couldn't do it because China still wasn't a good enough place for people to come back full-time. He tried to introduce a whole group of reforms to get people to come back full-time, but he couldn't do it. So he introduced a part-time program. Once you start the part-time program, then you can build into the kinds of problems that the FBI and the American intelligence now are very worried about, which is you have Chinese who are well integrated into the scientific and academic communities here in the United States. They've joined the program part-time, and then they're offered incentives by the state to share the information that they have back with China. Now, it's very clear that some of the people have been bad bad boys and girls in the sense that they've double-dipped, so they kept their job in the United States, and then they also took a full-time job in China. So they're getting two salaries. So that's one of the big complaints. Second thing that without they've... Without disclosure. Without disclosure. So the real problem is the, the lack of disclosure. 
So some people will set up a second uh, laboratory, uh, mirroring their laboratory in the United States, and they'll get lots of money to do it in China. Um, but the percentages, we just don't know. You know, the, the U.S. government, uh, the Congress, one of, in November, the Congress came out with a report. And in that report, they talk about case studies of people doing this and doing that. I believe that there's, those case studies are generally true, though sometimes the FBI has had to drop charges against people. That's happened on, on, on a, I would say, almost on a regular basis. But there's been some really misbehavior. But what percentage is that, right? We don't really know. No one's come up with, you know, out of how many China, you know, NIH, people are getting the National Institute of Health awards, how many of those people have actually been investigated and found to be misbehaving? And so in the climate of the U.S.-China hostility, this kind of behavior is now demonized. It's expanded. And so, you know, part of my own view is, look, you know, there's no doubt that people are doing this. You know, first of all, the state in China, the party in China, it mobilizes. We know that, right? So, so it, um, it mobilized uh, people and just put money out there to try and get people to share that information. We know that. Uh, institutions compete with each other to try and get their uh, scientists or get these sci part-time scientists, the, the ones living in the U.S., to come and share information. Universities will do that. They'll give them incentives. And then there's, of course, people can be bad. You know, uh, I'm working in a lab. Uh, I've got access to this uh, technology or access to this bio. A lot of this is biotech kind of stuff. I know a hospital in China that's saying to me, if you can bring that in, we'll give you a lot of money and I can make a fortune, right? The, the profits that can be made from this. So clearly there are people doing this, but the question again becomes what percentage? And nobody's got the data on overall percentages and anything I've seen on percentages suggests that you're talking 3%, 2%, 1%, 4% of these people are misbehaving, maybe less. And it's become blown up. How could you even get any data on that? Right. So I'll give you an example of you know, where, the number of Chinese who are studying. Right. My plan will be to try and that figure would be this out. A big number. Right. If it's four percent, that's huge. Well, so four percent of all the mainland professors who have an mainland NIH, professors, mainland yeah. professors who are living in the United States, who have an NSF or National Science Foundation or an NIH grant, who are illegally or double dipping or doing something wrong in terms of transferring stuff or job wise back with the United with China. Maybe it's less. I can only tell you when you ask me the numbers. So this congressional this congressional report, uh, it's the Senate's uh, committee uh, committee on uh, homeland security. Yeah. They did a report. And in their report, they go after the Ministry of the, the Commerce Department in the U.S. They go after the Commerce Department for um, not monitoring carefully enough the dual-use technology. People apply for licenses to ship stuff to back to China, uh, and they criticize the Commerce Department. The, the Senate criticizes the Commerce Department. But they give you the data on that. And the data are very simple. It's 0.7% of the people who have applied, Chinese mainlanders who have applied for uh, a license to send stuff back to China, actually it's 0.7 or 0.07. It's 20 cases 
maybe it's 20, maybe it's 0.07 it's 20 cases out of 200 2000 cases where there's some question mm -hmm. about are they illegally transferring or transferring it's something very very small that's really small and they put that in the report mm -hmm. so when i saw that in the report i said this is crazy yeah. you know um, to be able to be making, I mean, even to criticize. Yeah, so part of the demonization. Part of the demonization. So part of my, you know, you know me. I mean, when, when I believe when China does something wrong, you've got to call them out on it, you know, because it undermines the relationship. But on the other hand, we're in such a climate, or you, I mean, I'm Canadian, right? You're in yeah. such a climate, but Canada's even, in some ways, even worse now um, because of the two, uh, the two Michaels. But does India have a... Uh the equivalent of a Chenrin Jihua? No, India, in, so India is very poor on this. When you go to Silicon Valley, when you go, I mean, there are almost as many Indians Correct. as there are Chinese. But they're... So they're suffering a brain drain, but they're not huge. doing anything about it. Well, they're doing some things about it, but they certainly, nobody's as mobilized as China, which is, again, part of the issue. Uh, you know, the Koreans have done it and tried to bring people back, but that was a lot long, long time ago, Park Chung-hee in the 70s was even doing that. The Taiwanese set up a special office mm -hmm. to bring people back. But the Indians have had no special office. Uh, and the only states, uh, Gujarat, Modi state, and Kerala, which is where so many of the people go to work in the Gulf, uh, those are the only two states at the state level um, that have offices for managing returnees or people working overseas. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the Indians are pretty slow on this. We have a paper, I have a paper that's uh, we're going to send off pretty soon uh, comparing China and India on this issue. Right, that would be a very interesting one. So how many people have actually, Chinese have actually returned to China under the Chen Renji uh, the, the numbers that returned, maybe, I don't know, a couple thousand. The total number that have enrolled is 7,000, mm -hmm. right? That's from all over the world. That's from, well, but 65, 56% of the people who have enrolled are in the U.S. And 68% of the people who have enrolled have U.S. work experience. From our data, we have a small Is it a sample. a public list? Uh, you can't get it anymore. Can't get used to be able to. Used to be able to get it. So I've maxed out the data set, as you know. This is what I do, right? Yeah. So we had a list of uh, 770 mm -hmm. people. If people want to learn more and get your paper, how do they do that? Uh, D D R so doctor D R Z W uh, David Zweig D R Z W D sorry say it again D R D-A-V-I-D-Z-W-E-I-G dot com. That's my website. Okay, and then you can get the paper. And I, you, I'll get the papers up there, all the stuff I've been writing on this. I have a new paper that just came out in the Journal of Contemporary China. It will be out. It's already going to be online soon. Because this so, all deserves further. The podcast we limit to 10 minutes. We're already above our 10 minutes. Um, but... For people who, and I think there'd be many who are interested in, they can do that. Or we're about to do an hour video, right? Um, which will be available at sure. ncuscr.org, and you can see the full hour video if this ten minute, or eleven minute podcast. Yeah, or if they're really interested, send me an email. You know, S your email is s o sugar other s o zweig z w e i g at u s t dot h k. 
Thanks. Sounds good. David, thank you so much. And we look forward to now the full hour presentation. Great. Great. Thanks. Thanks.